0: Experience Darden Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with my admissions colleague, Christian Robinson. Christian is Associate Director of Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Recruiting here at the Darden School of Business, and he and I recently connected via Zoom to talk more about his background, um, what led him to Darden, uh, and so much more. Christian has a really interesting story He's a UVA graduate, he worked in the Career Center, pursuit of master's in counseling. He's working on a PhD. And of course, now he's here at Darden uh, working with business school students. And this was a really interesting, thought-provoking conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Christian Robinson. Christian, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Brett. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing okay. It's a beautiful day here in Washington, D.C. It is 71 degrees as of the time of this podcast taping incredible
1: it is i I, i'm rocking the short sleep button down today i just had to break it out for the first day that really like truly feels like spring in the workplace
0: i know it's a great week too Uh, i grew up an acc basketball fan and so the acc Mm -hmm. tournament is this week so we'll see what what's to come for uh the who's uh as they head up to brooklyn so there's a lot happening this week
1: I always get so nervous because I was in um, the pep band at UVA for basketball. And so it was just always a roller coaster ride every single year. And I unfortunately wasn't there um, when we were on, you know, the big upspin that we've been on recently, Um, but it was still a lot of fun. Well,
0: how are you doing generally? Everything good in your world?
1: Yeah, I would honestly say I'm pretty thankful to say that all things aside going on in the world. Um, that I'm doing pretty well. I think I'm in this weird mental space where it feels like the pandemic is kind of nearing an end, but we've been doing this for so long that I'm like, I can't get my hopes up for this. I can't get my hopes up. Um, But just being able to be around friends and family a little less cautiously has, has had me in a really good place lately.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that note about like you try not to get too far ahead and get your hopes built up because it does feel like we've been on this journey. It's been up, it's been down. Uh, Some Mm -hmm. months have been good. Some months have been much more challenging. Um, Try to take it a day at a time. Yeah, for sure. All right. And I guess uh, we were talking a little bit before we get started. Busy week for you on the, on the work front, too, with, uh, gosh, Darden Days planning. You're intimately involved with that. And then also the uh, consortium uh, is really kind of accelerating. So,
1: yeah. So, Darden Days, I'm super excited because it's really going to be our first big in-person event. Uh, As you know, I was on the planning team um, for the diversity conference, which was virtual. And so I got my feet a little wet with event planning here at Darden. um, But this is Darden Day has been full exposure, everything um, event planning in terms of catering, balloon arches, tents outside, all of that sort of thing. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, And I'm hoping that, again, looking forward to being able to pan out in person. Um, And then this will also be my first um, consortium draft that I'm experiencing. Um, And so it's more, I'm more there to to learn and to observe. Um, But I'm excited to be a part of the process. Well, you know, it's a darn
0: event when there's a balloon arch. That's mm-hmm. really, that's that's the the signature events always have the balloon arch, I think about. The there is school. something
1: so welcoming about a balloon arch. And I don't really understand why I find like comfort in a lot of balloons in one place, in an organized figure. Uh, but it really, I, for whatever reason, it just really elevates an event mentally for me, for the students who attend them. Um, so we're, we're really excited for the balloon arch. We had a lot of conversation about it. <laughs>
0: All right. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for taking some time out of a busy week for the podcast. Yeah. And one of the things I enjoy uh, about getting to do these interviews is introducing our prospective student listeners to admissions colleagues, and members of the admissions team they might interact with a- along the way as they learn more about Darden, potentially apply, interview, all these kinds of things. And so um, tell us a little bit more about you, Christian. You're, you're relatively new uh, to, to the Darden
1: community. Yes, yeah, so I started at Darden last June um, with the admissions office, but I think it's helpful to take my story a little bit further back, so I'm actually a UVA grad. I graduated in 2015. Um, I studied biology and environmental science, but that was really a roundabout way of me just having to decide on major so I could graduate in four years. Um, I started out in the engineering school, kind of bumped around a little bit there before moving to the College of of Science. Um, but I was super involved in a lot of student affairs activities. Um, so I worked with Days on the Lawn, which is our student's day. I was a tour guide. I was an orientation leader and did some of the senior leadership for that. Um, which really just had me fall in love with all things higher ed. Um, and so after I graduated from UVA, I actually decided to stay in Charlottesville um, and look for work opportunities in higher education student affairs at UVA. Um, and so I worked at the career center, um, the undergraduate career center, for two years, working in their on their employer relations team, where I was really in charge of all of their employer events. So if an employer was coming to grounds for recruiting, whether that was a career fair an information session, anything like that, I was the one helping to coordinate that. Um, and I was a really cool way to help um, develop students on their way out of the university. Um, I felt like I spent a lot of my time as a tour guide and um, an orientation leader fostering students who were coming into the university. And this was a good bookend at the end of my time in Charlottesville um, to to see them on the other side of that process. Um, But after that, I realized that I really liked working with people more than anything. Um, And so I was applying to grad school. Um, I was looking back and forth um, between student affairs programs um, as well as counseling programs. Um, and really what it came down to is that I think I could have ended up where I am today, having gone either route. Um, but what I really wanted was the skills and understanding of how humans work and interact um, and engage with each other. Um, and so that's what led me down the counseling program. So I went down to the University of North Carolina um, at Greensboro, where I got my master's in clinical mental health counseling, which is a mouthful. Um, But that is a lot of words to say um, that I have the background and the qualifications um, to be, and I am a certified therapist um, in the mental health space. I focused in the past mostly on college age students. Um, So I worked at Wake Forest's counseling center um, for a little bit of time. Um, And then as soon as I graduated, I decided that um, DEI and social justice, um, so DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice advocacy were more my focus. Um, And to be able to do that on a larger scale and less so on a one-to-one individual or group counseling setting, that I needed to scale up um, my skill level and and focus on research, um, which brought me to Richmond. Um, So now I currently live in Richmond, commute to Charlottesville to work at Darden, um, but I'm getting my PhD um, in, which is even more of a mouthful, in counseling, counselor education, and counselor supervision, um, which is a lot of words to say um, that I would be qualified to be a therapist who trains, supervises, and educates other therapists. Um, but within that, all of my research, um, all of my um, papers, all of my projects have been focused in social justice and advocacy. Um, I think being in this program and having that focus um, through the pandemic, through the Black Lives Matter movement, um, through the Me Too movement, through an election, um, has really been able to help me focus in on on policy, on um, systemic racism um, and systemic problems, and really look at them from a research perspective, which led me to Darden. Um, So I knew that I always wanted to to dive back into higher ed, um, but I wanted to do DEI work. Um, And so I started looking at roles. um, And fortunately, um, I knew Mark Paolo Guzman. Um, from my days in marching band, um, actually at UVA, he helped choreograph me. I was in a boy band show, um, where we got to do some sync choreography. Um, and so I reached out to him, um, cause I knew that he had been preparing to leave Darden. Um, and I really had, like, I'd been in touch with him throughout his time here. And I just really was intrigued by the work that he was doing, um, So I reached out and thankfully everything worked out. Um, and I ended up in the admissions office here at Darden, which has been a really cool way, um, to kind of bring together all my skills in student affairs and higher education, um, with my research in diversity, equity, inclusion, and then just with my people skills that I've gained from being a therapist and having a counseling degree. So that's a little bit about how I got there, but I'm sure there's a, there's a lot in there to break down.
0: Well, definitely. I mean, I'm thinking about your journey, um, from UVA and the work that you were doing in Charlottesville to student counseling. And you weren't that far removed from college uh, mm-hmm. when you began counseling college students. What, yeah. what was that like? And I think about that time, by the way, like how <clears> much stuff is happening to people while, I mean, it's such a profound time. Personally, there's so much going yeah. on in the world, too, you know, and everything uh, these days. But what was that like?
1: it was weird to say the least. Um, And so when I was at Wake Forest, I was mostly seeing undergrad students, but from time to time I'd have grad students and some of them were even older than me because I was 26, 27 at the time that I was, that I was at Wake. Um, And so it was really, I had, there was a lot of imposter syndrome involved in that. I was like, what, what do I, uh, a pretty privileged 27 year old um, have to contribute to this conversation with you know, a 30 year old law student is like really going through it because of some trauma that they experienced. Um, But I think that's where I really was able to fall back on the education and the classes that I'd had. Thankfully, um, the program that I attended um, is pretty well known for counseling and just their experiential learning models. It's really not that far off from the case method uh, that we have here at Darden. And so I felt like I had a lot of hands-on experience before I even stepped foot um, into the room, into a room with a client um, for in a real situation. Um, but it was very wild, like to be able to be seeing 20 to 30 clients um, a week um, and to be leading group counseling um, for students at wake. And again, as you're saying, I'm not that far removed, which I think also helped me um, to be able to build rapport and gain trust and feel like a relatable therapist and counselor for them. Um, And what I I often would get um, some referrals from of students who were difficult, quote unquote, difficult um, clients um, to see um, in terms of rapport building. And they would come to me and I would really that was my strength. Um, was was getting them in and bought into the process um, just because I was much younger um, than the people that that are also providing counseling in the office
0: well I appreciate your sharing that I was just thinking about what it must have been like uh, for you fresh from this graduate program still relatively uh, early on <laughs> in your career and um, you know, with college students, you see all number of of things uh, that people are dealing with. So, any lessons that you still carry uh, from that time with you as you look back on it?
1: Yeah, I think college is just very interesting time, right? Because we're it's I grappled with it. I'm sure you grappled with it. They're grappling with it. It's the first time like you've been an adult, right? Like you you probably turned eighteen in high school. You're driving. You're boating, etc. Um, but College is really the first time where you have to examine yourself outside of the confines of, like, the rules um, that your parents have built for you, right, in the world and the responsibilities that your parents have set for you. So there's a lot of, like, grappling with independence. Um, there's a lot of grappling with identity, uh, which makes it just a really cool space to engage in. Um, clearly, there's outliers there. People who had to grow up quickly um, or take on more responsibility at home. Um, but for me, especially at Lake Forest... I always had to remind myself and to remind students that like it's an experience, right? It's kind of college is an experiment. um, And to not take yourself too seriously. Um, I think that's what kind of the energy that I bring into everything that I do. Um, Like I care very intensely and very passionately about all um, of the work that I do. Um, At the end of the day, um, fun is at the center of everything that motivates me. Um, And so whether it's talking to, a client about trauma that they've experienced, or the consortium draft that we're about to walk into um, this week. I like to bring an aspect of fun um, to everything that we do and keep things exciting um, because it keeps us engaged and it keeps us in a place where we're able to explore and reflect and grow.
0: So you go from Wake Forest to to this PhD program. And how did you know that more school was the the right step for you, and and particularly the program that you're in? What what resonated with you?
1: Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. When I entered, um, when I thought there was a big jump um, for me to be able to cognitively be ready to go to a master's program, it really took my entire two years um, in which I was working at the Career Center to really be like, I can do this. Um, I was a fine student at UVA, um, but I definitely got Leveled a little bit, right? Because all students who end up at UVA are good students in high school, um, and I was not a top performer by any means at UVA. Um, so I had a lot of low self-efficacy in the classroom, um, and so by the time that I got to my counseling program, it was fun for me to be able to engage academically again and something that I knew that I was good at. Um, I landed on biology and environmental science um, just as. It was easy as I was rolling out of the engineering school and I wanted to graduate in four years. And so a lot of my credits just transferred and it made sense. I didn't necessarily care about it more than just like a, a hobby or a passion project, right? Um, but counseling was something that I was good at. I've always been good at working with people and understanding people. Um, I've always felt like I've had a high emotional intelligence. So this was a place where I could really thrive. Um, and so as soon as I entered the classroom for my master's, I almost knew that it was inevitable that I would get a PhD, um, especially in the space that I was having so much fun in. Um, the thing with PhDs is that, especially in counseling where the master's is very clinical, it's very hands-on, the PhD is a whole different experience. Um, it's a lot, lot of writing, clearly. Um, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of teaching. It's a lot of supervising master's students, teaching undergrads, all of that. And so I always... Despite not knowing what I wanted to do through undergrad and even in the two years after I graduated, uh, there's this video of me at my kindergarten graduations uh, where they ask you what you want to be when you grow up. And I said, I want to be a teacher. Um, And I've always felt that way, that I I love shepherding groups of people into new experiences and having them lead with knowledge. Um, And so that is really what guided me towards a Ph.D., the idea of being able to teach in an academic setting um, and to be able to leverage the skills that I have with people um, to help have a larger systemic effect and a, and a larger downstream effect, I think was something that was really exciting to me. Um, again, I got to my PhD. I was the youngest person in my cohort. Um, I moved into the um, PhD process pretty quickly compared to the average counselor. Um, so I was... I'll put it in quotations, the least experienced, um, even though like I got in, so I'm more than qualified, but there was a whole nother set of hoops that I had to dive, dive through. Um, I was one of few people of color, one of few queer people, um, counseling is a uh, female dominated profession. So there's a lot of things um, that, that were going through my head as I entered the PhD, but thankfully, um, now I'm on the tail end of it. So I finished off my coursework, all of my exams, um, all of that, and now it's just me and my dissertation. So there will be a Dr. Christian Robinson in the year 2022, which is really exciting now that I can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: That's awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, about your dissertation? Do
1: you, do you feel, is it is it ready to share here on the podcast? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so my dissertation really comes out of not only my time as a counselor, but my time as a student at the University of Virginia. Um, so I was in the batch of students. I graduated in 2015 um, and then stayed around through 2017, which means that I experienced uh, the disappearance and murder of Hannah Graham. Um, I experienced the Rolling Stones article um, the just the police brutality with Martise Johnson, all of that. So I saw how um, hostile college environments could be and how detrimental um, these environments could be um, for students' mental health. And I kept centering around conversations that were being had around masculinity. Um, I think generally like the easy entry point to that is the conversation on college campuses about toxic masculinity um and so basically what my dissertation does is it reframes toxic masculinity um in, in terms of hegemonic masculinity so looking at it not from an individual level but more of a systemic level so it's not pinning men as villains more as it is as products of their circumstance. Um, and my dissertation is basically aimed at exploring the cognitive processes um, and thoughts and behaviors in different social settings that lead men um, to create adverse situations for other students on college campuses, be it rape, be it hazing, um, dating violence, alcohol and other drug usage, et cetera. Um, so really what I'm doing is I'm sitting down, um, in a, it's a qualitative study. So I'm sitting down and do one-on-one interviews, um, with men at UVA, um, just around where they get concepts of masculinity, how it's changed at their t- in their time at UVA and how it's evolved since their time in high school. Um, and how that plays out, not only, um, in their day-to-day, like how they carry out masculinity, but also how masculinity is carried out on them and how they experience it in both positive and negative ways. Um, And so the idea being here is that um, higher ed often moves through different, especially in the undergraduate context, moves through different phases. Like I think the multicultural phase we went through a while where the multicultural um, research was was booming. Um, And then now, um, thanks to the Black Lives Matter movement, anti racism is, is a big next step. Um, but I would argue that until we properly understand masculinity, um, we'll never really fully understand racism or bigotry, transphobia, um, you know, anything like that, uh, because it does seem to be a central driving force in terms of the violence, not only physical, um, but also emotional, um, that happens on college campuses. Um, and so My dissertation is just a way of reframing something through a new theoretical model um, to help us understand it more Um, as masculinity professionals are popping up in undergraduate college campuses set forth to um, You know, take on these issues head head first. um, This is this will hopefully help arm them with the tools um, and the knowledge to at least understand it from a different angle, a more systemic angle.
0: So you, you have identified this as the root of, of many things that you have to address this before you can address these other things. It's, is it the root because of the power dynamic inherent in like toxic masculinity or this kind of structural, um, these forces that create this particular expression of masculinity or is there some other? Yeah,
1: it's very, it's very um, parallel to conversations. Um, and I know it's a little bit divisive, but I'll, I'll explain myself here around um, like a defunding the police, right? Like the, the argument there is that um, the police force foundationally um, is founded on systemic racism and the oppression of black people. Um, I'd argue that systems of higher education uh, were, were made for men, right? The first colleges um, were, were exclusive um, to men. Uh, it took a long time to get people of color women and and women integrated. um, Clearly queer people have been in colleges throughout, but we're just now seeing them being incorporated into policy and legislature around it. Um, And so I would argue that the foundation um, for all of American higher education is is skewed towards men, specifically white, um, cisgendered, um, heterosexual men. Um, And so until we can understand it um, from that lens fully, then we can start to think about how we can make it more inclusive. Um, we, we have to really take a couple of steps back. And I think in the way of viewing it from societal lens, um, rather than this toxic masculinity, which is very individual, um, it's more about calling people in um, than calling people out. Um, through the lens of hegemony, which is my overarching theory, um, everybody, even the oppressed, so that in this case it would be queer people, people of color, women, um, engage in, mas- in in masculinity culture in a way that propels it forward. Like nobody is, is, is free of contributing to, to masculine norms. Um, and so this really will help to explore that and hopefully launch um, a lot more prongs of research where I can explore masculinity and college campuses within these different, you know, minority identities as well.
0: And all this is coming together in 2022. You said the dissertation will be wrapped up this year?
1: Yes, wrapped up, which is kind of wild because it, it truly, I mean, right now it's looking like it'll be at least 200 pages worth of writing. Um, and that was, I mean, my, going back to what I was saying earlier, the thing that I had the least self-efficacy around going into PhD program was my writing. Um, I was like, I can counsel, I can teach, I can supervise, do all of that. Great, I know, I know what I need to know about student affairs and higher education. But the writing is going to get me, um, and so it's been really interesting to see myself put together. I mean, it's more or less a book. Like people get their dissertations printed out and bound, um, hard copy, uh, hard cover, in a book. And so it's just wild to think that I've been just like chipping away at this um, almost for a year now, um, and then in another, you know, six to eight months, it'll be finished. I guess you could always turn it into a book.
0: Uh, if you, I mean, it, you know, with a hard cover and all this kind of stuff, is that, is that something that is ultimately of interest to you being published in that kind of way?
1: I don't think that I want to be published in that kind of way, but I think what's cool um, is so my partner um, is going down the PhD route too, and, and he is an amazing writer. Um, and so he, it's his goal to be published in that way. And there's a lot of cool things that he's in the nursing profession. Um, and so he's looking to get his PhD in nursing um, with a, really a focus on women, gender, sexuality, black feminism, all of that has it intertwined with nursing and social justice. Um, so there's a lot of synergistic things we have going on um, where I think I can hop on and, and co-author or be the second author, but I don't necessarily have to do the undertaking um, that is writing a whole book.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, y'all must have some really interesting conversations between the two of y'all, given your respective work and how it likely intersects
1: we do and thankfully for us <laughs> the counseling profession and the nursing profession are pretty lockstep in terms of their um attunement to social justice and advocacy um so that's the cool thing that that unifies us um clearly it plays out different in the day-to-day with me in um therapy and as well as higher ed and then him he works at the pediatric icu at, at um, virginia commonwealth university's hospital so we We stay in our own lanes, but we also have a lot of things in common to talk about from a theoretical standpoint.
0: All right. Well, Kristen, you're here at Darden. You've been here almost for a year. Uh, We're recording Mm -hmm. this in in early March. Um, How's it been going so far? Are you enjoying the work?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely enjoying it. I think this is my first real admissions job. Right, like I'd volunteer with an admissions office, so I get the gist of it. But the MBA admissions process is its own business, I'm finding out. It's, it's a multi-million dollar industry, as I found out. And so it's just there was a lot for me to catch up on. Um, and I'm really thankful for the round structure of the admissions process, cause it really helped me. I started with reading for the future year scholars program um, and that prepped me a little bit for early action. And then early action was really where I dove in deep into interviewing um, and, and reading. And that that was where I really had to do a lot of absorbing. Um, it was really just a lot of listening. I My notes were always longer than they needed to be. Um, I felt like my interviews ran longer than they needed to be just because I was being on the careful side of things um, and really trying to hone the craft of being an admissions counselor. And now by round one, round, we just finished up round two. I'm feeling very confident um, in in my abilities to do this job. Um, I also really enjoyed getting to plan a diversity conference. Um, That was really once I started, that was my first big project um, and it was Not only to bring together the students, but also the staff um, and faculty to get that done. Um, And so once that was over, I I was left feeling pretty, pretty confident um, about about my time at Thardom.
0: Well, the diversity conference was a huge, huge hit and a huge success, and so much positivity from all the prospective students who attended. And not the easiest thing to execute a, a virtual event that is engaging and exciting to people. So, huge compliments uh, to you. And now you're getting to work on an in-person event. So, you will, by the time this full year is over, you you will have probably about all the
1: experiences.
0: Uh, I would, I would think
1: yeah it it is very wild uh getting up to speed not only with event planning but with how scholarships work with how financial aid works all of those sort of things the little nuances uh, of darden it has been very intriguing like darden is its own special place with its own culture um, its own language very very similar to my time at uva Uh, there's different words that you have to learn and so it's just been A big learning experience. I feel like I'm learning something new every day. I still like to sit in on people's um, other colleagues' coffee chats because I feel like there's still so much information for me to absorb. Um, I also listen to the podcast pretty frequently um, because those are just cool things to call back on when I'm in front of prospective students as well.
0: Well, we appreciate your listening to the podcast. I will say it's one of the great things to be able just to talk with the students about, you know, what they're up to and what they're getting out of the experience. And I've so enjoyed uh, meeting students that, you know, working mostly with our working professional students. Uh, meeting students that my path might not have otherwise crossed. Um, and so it's been, a, it's been a great honor to be able to do this. So I'm curious, Christian, how has your research and your, your past counseling experience, all these things that you, you've been working on um, prior to and, and now even after you've arrived at Darden, how, has, how have they informed the work that you've done, helped you in the work that you've done here at Darden?
1: yeah i i would say like the last five years that i've spent in school specifically in counseling um, like clearly i've been working on things that would enhance my iq but like really it's been focusing on owning the craft that is emotional intelligence um, and so i would say i just bring a different lens altogether um, when i'm interviewing students when i'm reading through applications um, the way that your mind is built to, uh, built as a counselor is really to build stories and build narratives and understand problems and where they need to go down the line. And it's not really that different um, from what admissions counselors are doing day to day. Um, But I think in just the language um, that I've acquired through my time as a counselor um, and then I, we have to take tire, like endless notes for just legal and ethical purposes as a counselor uh, has really helped prepare me um, to be able to walk into an interview um, and really just be able to, to facilitate um, a conversation and understand not only the strengths but the weaknesses um, of the applicants um, and prospective students and also understand their story a little bit more holistically. I think I tend to focus um, a lot on up somebody's personhood and what makes them tick. Because at the end of the day, um, to me, just coming from a mental health profession, like that's what's gonna push them through um, the case method. That's what's gonna push them through the recruiting process. Um, and so as much as I can elicit their personhood in the interview, um, the better. We have a lot of students that come in with a lot of great work experience, really great academics and just cool volunteer opportunities. Um, but if they, they don't always know how to talk about them. Um, And I think that's the one thing in my counseling training is it's always been like we have difficult clients, we have clients, I've had mandated clients who don't want to be in counseling. Um, and I still have to fill an hour with them and, and have them buy into the process. And so I take that as the same way as somebody who might be struggling in an interview process, right? Like we, we are going to spend this time together, so let's make the most of it. Um, and I help meet them where they are um, and really help to elicit their stories and experiences out of them um, in a way that I think is, you know, fruitful. And it's just, it's more stylistic, um, I think is just the way that I do. It. I, I don't think that it's better. Um, it's just different. Uh, just because I, I view counseling in the same way I'm sure that you view, you know, your experience in law. It's just a, it's like putting sunglasses on. You're just seeing the world through a different shade or a different lens. And it's hard to unsee it once you have all that knowledge. Um, and so rather than fighting against it, I just lean into it. Um, and sometimes I put on the counselor hat um, a little too much and I have to dial it back in my head. Um, but I, I really like to hear students' stories um, and see their potential and see where they can go.
0: Yeah, I've been in admissions uh, for, I had done admissions for five years before coming to Darden. I'd also been in student affairs, but I'd never interviewed applicants and so adjusting for the admissions person adjusting to getting to interview people who are being considered for an offer of admission uh the Mm darn interview uh, as we've noted here on the podcast is a little different than other business school interviews it's conversational and as you note not everybody knows quite how to navigate a conversational interview so as the admissions person you're walking that line between not trying to lead too much but trying to help the person potentially elicit their story and Um, there's it's an art it's a craft I'm always amazed uh, by our colleagues who've been doing this for a while how good they they are at that everybody has Mm -hmm. a slightly different style but um, all coming from the same place and to your your note about like personhood I I feel like that's such a good comment because we are trying to figure out the person uh, through the admissions process and the interview is a really incredible opportunity to kind of fill in Uh, what we've learned through the application.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think just a lot with my counseling experience is I just have a lot of experience um, talking with individuals about their identity and how that intersects you know, with all parts of their life. And so I feel like I'm able to have really fruitful um, conversations with students around diversity, equity and inclusion, around, you know, their global interest, just around who they are and, and their mindsets and how they, their worldviews, which has been just really cool to see how many different people end up at, you know, getting accepted into Darden. Uh, it's kind of wild to think like from day to day, I speak from students from vastly different backgrounds, vastly different experiences, Vast of different worldviews, um, but they but they come together um, in this funny little place called It.
0: Yeah, my, my regret. Um, I've been at Darden for I guess over seven years now. I wish I would have started a map at some point, uh, like a world map, and put a pin in a place in all the places where I've had a chance to meet people from. Uh, mm-hmm. c- would have included countries around the world, all these great places throughout the U.S. and just. I mean, at no other point in my life, Chris, I don't know about you, but like at no other point in my life did I have that kind of exposure just as a person. So it's, it's just mm-hmm. such an incredible opportunity to learn. Um, and you do it through the prism of, of someone else's life, right? Hearing about their opportunities and their experiences and how they got to this place where they're maybe thinking about traveling halfway around the world to do an MBA. Yeah. It's incredible.
1: And that's one of the beautiful things about this like now virtual world that we live in is I feel like in terms of access, we're able to access so many more prospective students from really cool places or access people who didn't previously think that business school would be an opportunity for them. Um, just because of, you know, the business school application process is an expensive one. Um, and so even reducing costs by not having people fly into interviews, it's been really cool to just see, I've talked to so many students who are like, I never thought that this was possible. And here I am sitting across from you in Zoom, um, uh, like with Darden as my number one choice and I didn't even know what Darden was a year ago um, and so it's just really cool to see like clearly there's been a lot of downsides to the pandemic um, but um, in terms of just access and the, the amount of diversity and students were able to reach that's been a real upside.
0: Well Christian I'm, I'm curious what you're looking forward to in the months ahead obviously you've got a lot going on right now with Darden Days is there anything else on the, on the horizon for you that you're excited about?
1: Yeah, I think like just being able to experience like, right. I haven't been here a year yet, so I haven't fully finished all the Darden traditions, the Darden cup. I'm excited to see Darden um, then play kickball. I'm excited again for Darden days. And I think just getting to see. <clears throat> excuse me, the class of 2024 come together. Um, Cause that's the first class that I would have had, you know, my hands in the pool and the process and the admissions perspective. Like um, clearly I've been interacting pretty heavily with the class of 2022 and 2023. Um, but I didn't interview them. right? I didn't read their applications. And so there's that. I'm excited to see what happens when the students scroll up um, in the fall. And I'm like, I know you. I know this name. I read that application. I remember you from the interview. And just re- really being able to see those students grow throughout the process. Um, there's a lot of students that I, I leave interviews with, and I just my mind is just fixated on them. And I get really excited about them. I hope that it pans out for them. I hope that they end up choosing Darden um, and watching them you know, put in their deposits um, to come to Darden is something that's so exciting to me. Um, so I'm excited to see that play out in person um, in the fall and really be able to see them grow um, throughout the process. Yeah, when you think about the
0: admissions process and the sort of arc of it, you start sometime, typically the application goes live in like May or June mm-hmm. and there's zero people I mean, we have deferred students who will likely join the class, but there's really like at that point zero people in the class to you work all the way through the cycle till the following August and there's 335 or so students in the class that arc, the group of people who are applying and choosing the program. It's different every single year, right? Because the externalities, sort of what's going on structurally uh, related to interest in the MBA and Dart and all this kind of stuff, that changes how each class comes together, when people apply, all that. And then of course, the people you're meeting along the way are similar in some ways, but always different in other important ways. And it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like coming into my time at Darden, I had a very limited understanding of who got an MBA, right? Um, I graduated from UVA. A lot of my friends work at McKinsey Bay and BCG, all of that, um, and are in kind of at that stage in their life where they're getting MBAs. And so I just had a very, I was like, oh, okay, you do consulting for three four years, you get an MBA. That's, that's who it's for. Um, and so to be a part of the admissions process and really see that an MBA can be for anybody um, has been so cool and so enlightening. Um, The MBA, yeah, it's just a really interesting degree and it attracts a lot of really cool people with a lot of really cool interests. I'm always excited to talk to students who are entrepreneurial in their mindset um, because it's really just cool to see how they've thought about their experience and where they want to go um, in terms of the creativity aspect. Um, And so, yeah, again, the NBA is for everybody. Um, and it's been cool to have that just really expanded in my time here at Dardun.
0: So much of what you just shared aligns with the interview we did not so long ago with Tyler Kelly and Mariah Horner, where they were talking about their journeys. And Tyler said specifically on, on, during that interview that he did not think an NBA was for someone like him, given his background, uh, his first mm-hmm. generation he comes from lower economic uh, circumstance. It wasn't until he was actually in an MBA community uh, working at the business school at Indiana uh, that he realized lots of different people do this and they don't just look like, you know, men in suits essentially is what he he Mm -hmm. was saying. And like, I thought that was so interesting uh, to hear. And and I have to believe that that resonates with a lot of our prospective student listeners who've kind of been on this journey themselves.
1: Yeah, and I think... Just from the lens of of my research, one of the reasons why I was so fascinated to do diversity, equity, and inclusion in this space is an MBA um, more or less like in in a lot of ways, just gatekeeps leadership in in, in business, right? Um, And so this is kind of like the top of the funnel. Um, in terms of how people end up in C-suite roles um, and as business executives, and so being able to do diversity, equity, and inclusion work here uh, has a really big downstream effect. Um, and so I think, yeah, I love Tyler, and I've and I've heard him talk about his story, um, and it's interest. It's not interesting. I, like his story is fascinating, um, and sadly, it's unsurprising to me as um, somebody who works in diversity and inclusion, that he didn't see himself in this process. Um, As we know, capitalism uh, and and the business world kind of holds on to our our notions of masculinity very tightly um, and whiteness um, and, and heterosexuality very, very tightly. And so it's really hard for, for people of color, um, for queer people, for women to break into that. Um, and so, but the MBA is a really big facilitator of that. And mm-hmm. I think we're in a cool place where culturally, um, because of the Black Lives Matter movement, because of the Me Too movement, uh, just because of the prevalence of LGBTQ plus people in America, we're, we're now in a place where you can't not have that conversation in the workplace Um, and so it's been really cool um, not only to see students um, succeed here at Darden but for them to I've talked to many students who are coming back from internships or now have full-time roles talking about how they are being celebrated in in their workspaces Um, and I'm I'm glad to be able to help facilitate that at a school that really cares um, about you know, the notions of diversity, equity, inclusion, and what implication that has downstream in business and our society.
0: Well, Christian, I have a a one last question for you. Um, Yeah. A piece of advice, a tip you would share with our prospective student listeners, anything that you would share?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice, um, and I tell this to all prospective students that I interact with, um, is do not write what you think um, you want And like, do not write what you think an admissions counselor wants to hear Um, Write just about who you are um, and where you come from, Um, because there's we get so many applications, um, they can be hard to distinguish um, if they are not personalized Um, and so the more personal, you can make it the better I think it was you and Whitney who came up with the three legged stool. Um, analogy, uh, which is just focusing on not, not only the academic and the professional, uh, but the personal piece to it as well. Um, and I'd argue, right, like because of the way that we are conditioned to think about interview processes and grad school applications, it's really easy to talk about academics. Um, It's really easy to talk about the professional experience that you've had. Um, But I know as a counselor, um, it's really hard for us to feel vulnerable in this way, especially when it's going up for criticism or review um, to talk about ourselves. Um, And so I would just, my by studying student is to really, before you sit down and write any sort of essays, before you fill out any sort of applications, is sit back and and brainstorm what story you wanna tell um, and and what different pieces of you you wanna bring to the table um, and, and flesh those out. Because the academics and the professional, that'll come a little bit more naturally uh, but where I've seen students really struggle um, is bringing themselves into that process. I say, we, we have so many consultants from McKinsey or Bain or BCG. We have so many people who are coming from Microsoft. I know what those jobs look like um, on the day-to-day. Um, we have so many students who attend top tier universities. I understand what that looks like um, for those four years, but what I don't understand is how you engage in those things while you were there. Um, and so the more that you can bring right to that, the better. Um, And so I just say, keep it real and be yourself.
0: Well, that's such a good advice. Uh, I will say we've had some student interviewees on here um, who went through the application process once Uh, and then reapplied and the first time they went through it uh well maybe they tried to present in the way that they thought the admissions committee might want them Mm -hmm. to right this kind of like not focusing on you and what you want to communicate but focusing on what you think the admissions committee this kind of like mythical group of people wants to hear and they didn't get the answer they were hoping for it didn't work out the way that they wanted to so the second time around they were like you know what I tried it that way. Let me just go out and be my real authentic self through all of this and just put it out there and, and kind of, you know, if I get in, then I got in knowing that I, you know, was the person I'm going to be in this community, right? There's this alignment between the applicant version of myself and, and who I'm going to show up as in class mm-hmm. and outside of class. Different, different result. So yeah. um, it, 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 it squares with what, with what our students are sharing.
1: Yeah, and I really just like... Again, um, being able to be a part of that process. I think the interviews are so special. Uh, I think one thing that takes students off guard every time I interview is I thank them um, for taking the time to interview and share their story with me. I think it takes a level of vulnerability, especially in the way that the Darden interview format is. Um, and they're all like, no, 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 thank you. And I'm like, no, thank you. It, ta- it like really does take a lot of emotional energy to go through this process. And I'm appreciative of you sharing that time and space with me. Um, and, and so I just hope that anybody listening to this or anybody who's in our, our application process just knows that we, we handle these interviews, we handle the application process with care. Um, and our team is, is super excited um, to be able to talk to students in the way that we do. And our interview structure specifically is something that just excites me um, because I think stepping out of the confines of like a more sterile back and forth, like tennis match kind of interview, um, you really get to know people. Um, and really get to understand them and their stories, which you might not otherwise get to see if you were doing a more professional, um, just like pre-scripted interview.
0: Well, Christian, thank you so much for, for sharing all of this great information with us. I mean, we, we have learned a ton about you and your background, the work that you're doing, uh, what you're thinking about right now, how that's informing uh, the work that you're doing and here at Darden. And, Um, So appreciate your coming on the podcast and and participating in this interview.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Brett.
0: And that was my interview with Christian Robinson, Associate Director of Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Recruiting here at the Darden School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well,